17, I'll motion for you to, to be seated and then I'll pray. Thank you guys for leading us this morning and thank you. It's good to see Brian back and uh, we just thank God for each of those guys um, and girls. I'm sorry, but I mean guys in a Midwestern kind of way. So, but um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. This is God's word for us this morning and this is what God says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet uh, your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Father, thank you for your word. Every word of yours is true. It's living and it's active. In fact, Our hope this morning is that your word would do its formative, transformative work. That the very thing that instructs us that we should be about, that it would do its work in us to bring that to bear. So that our hearts would love these words. Our hearts would abide by these words. So help us, Father, for the name of Christ's by the very power of the Spirit, show us wonderful things and transform us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're now at the last of the ten words that we've been walking through and considering. And um, uh, we are going to devote our time to this tenth word this morning. And I want to do that in two ways, the same ways I've been doing each of the words. We want to, first of all, gain an understanding of what is being stated for us in the 10th word. And then we want to think a little bit about how to practice. What are some practical considerations that pertain to the the 10th commandment? I would remind us uh, that these 10 commandments... Are, are not the ladder that we climb in order to merit or earn a relationship with a holy God. These words were given to a people whom God had unilaterally, singularly uh, rescued on his own. He had brought them to himself. They now were in relationship with him. And now he gives these instructions on how his people are to live. So these words do not describe how we become God's people. These words describe how we are to live once we are God's people. And here the last thing he says to us in these 10 words is you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything else in your neighbor's house. Now, this tenth word drifts back into wordiness. You remember commands six, seven, and eight were just two words apiece. Um, The ninth command, the one we considered last week, was five words. 
So you put that together and command six, seven, eight, and nine are only 11 words. This one's 15 words. This one is longer than the, the previous four combined. Do we really need to, to stretch this out and make it that wordy? Why not just say, as he said in commands 6, 7, and 8, no coveting? Or, if you wanted to stretch it out a little bit longer, just to kind of put some filler in there, no coveting anything of your neighbor's. But he stretches it out. Interesting. I don't know that I can give a perfect answer for that. I mean, God is God. He is wise and good in all that he does. And if, and if he believed he needed to be wordy at this moment, then that's perfect, you know. But, but, but is there a reason for this? I would, I would suggest to you that, that the, um, um, the wordiness of this tenth word, in fact, it says, do not covet twice. I mean, how many times you got to say it before I, I, I get it? But why would you say something twice, perhaps for emphasis, perhaps to underscore the importance of it, perhaps to nip in the bud how we might be apt to downplay the seriousness of this tenth word. I mean, we understand it's, it's serious to not perform certain actions, but is it all that serious what is really just secretly percolating around in our hearts? I would suggest that he says, do not covet twice, and then he lists six particular examples, and then he, uh, then he just lumps everything together and says, and, and, and I can't go on, but just anything else that's your neighbor's. It's to show us how serious this matter of covetousness is, to suggest to us that it is a fundamentally fatal sin. The tenth word is a regulation of our desires. Who has the right to tell me what kind of desires I should have or not? The God who made us, who is wise and good and right in all that he does and in everything that he says. The Tenth Commandment forbids a certain type or certain kind of desire. I, I, I say that because, first of all, not every kind of desire uh, is forbidden. Not every kind of desire, not every kind of longing, not every kind of want, not every kind of thought about having this or having that is prohibited. In fact, why is it that, that we are creatures who desire? The Lord made us beings who desire, I would suggest to you, in fact, what the scriptures instruct us about is that we are desiring beings, perhaps at a level that is even more fundamental to our, the essence of our humanity than we are thinking beings.
God made us desiring beings, and, and, um, uh, and, and that's, that's not a, a bad thing. Uh, not every kind of desire and longing and want and thought of having this or that, not, that, not every kind of ambition is a bad thing. In fact, desire as God made us is actually um, that, that disposition in our souls that moves us, that motivates, it empowers. Or in other words, not all desires are bad or selfish or evil. And yet God steps in here in this 10th word and informs us that he is now regulating our desires. The God who made us a desiring being now says, I made you as a being to desire. And yet, heads up here, there's certain desires, types and kinds that I say, off limit. That is, that, is, that is a profoundly important matter. We are responsible to God for our desires, for what we desire, for who we desire, for how we desire. We are accountable to him for that. Uh, our, that's countercultural. If we buy into that notion, that's countercultural because our culture today tells us follow your heart. Follow the desires of your heart. Whatever they are, if they're your desires, they're legit, they're bona fide, they're good, they're noble, and they should be followed at all costs. God steps in the middle of that and says, No. I made you a creature who desires, and I have the prerogative to regulate which desires are out of bounds and which desires uh, should move you and motivate you. You see, it is, it, is, it is not that we desire things that is wrong. It's just that particularly now in light of the fall, that we are fallen creatures we have a penchant to desire wrong things. We have a penchant to even desire good things in a wrong way. That's kind of part of the mess that sin and the condition of sin has left us in. Being sinners now as fallen creatures... This, this condition of sin affects us in that now our desires are distorted. We, we, don't, we don't always want to trust ourselves and, uh, and the, the, the legitimacy of our desires because just because we might feel something and want something and long for something, that, that doesn't mean that the Lord approves of that desire. In fact, the Bible acknowledges with our condition of sin that now dis 
distorts our desires. The, the Bible is, warns us of the disruptive, destructive power of distorted desires. And these distortive, disruptive, destructive desires are what I would suggest to you is the meaning behind the term covet. Do not covet. Coveting, coveting, to covet is to desire wrong things or to desire good things in the wrong way. When we desire for ourselves that which belongs to someone else, that's called coveting. It's more than just simply, you know, I'd like a new house. I wouldn't, by the way, but um, I'm just hypothetical. Um, or uh, coveting is more than saying, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a, new, a nicer house? That, that in and of itself is not what it means to covet. You desire a new house, you desire an nicer house. Okay. Um, coveting it goes deeper than that. Coveting says, I got to have this house. Or even a variance of that, perhaps. If only I had this house. I would finally be happy. See, so it's not wrong to say, I'd like, new, I'd like a new house. But a lot gets transferred in taking that statement of desire and turning it into the category of to covet. To, to covet is to desire something, to desire someone that is not yours to have. God forbids it. God hasn't provided it. So, another example. It is, it, it is not out of bounds. In fact, God wired us, if you would, made us with a desire for physical intimacy. That's a good desire. And, and yet, it's a good desire that Proverbs 5.15 regulates, and it says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. You desire physical intimacy? Then go obtain a cistern or a well. Now, we're talking metaphorically, you understand. We have multi-generations here, so I'm figuring that most of you can figure out what I'm referring to, uh, and, and yet Proverbs does that in a wonderful, tasteful, and yet poignant way. Nothing wrong with this desire, unless, of course, this desire pertains to someone else's wife, someone who's not your wife, someone other than your wife, then that's coveting. That's a desire gone awry. And that is what the Lord is focusing our hearts and minds on. Coveting is more than 
uh, saying, I would like this, I would like that. Uh, but covetining is informed by not only distorted desires, but disordered loves. And what I mean by that is this, kind of a backup for a second. You remember command six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are what we would call the second table of the commandments. And um, the first table are the first five. The second table are the second five. And Jesus uh, summarized the Ten Commandments, summarized, in fact, all of the commandments. You just say simply this. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's commands one through five. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's commandments six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And what I'm saying to you is that Coveting is uh, informed by not love of neighbor because it's being envious of your neighbor. Your neighbor's got that wife. Oh, man, if I only had that wife. Your neighbor's got that donkey. Well, well anyway, I'm not totally drawn to that one, but, uh, but you, you, get, you get the point. Um, it, it is informed, coveting is informed by loving self, by refusing to love your neighbor. If you loved your neighbor, you would say, man, I thank God that God has given my neighbor a wonderful wife. I, I thank God that, 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 that the Lord has given my neighbor a, a, a wonderful donkey. Uh, and um, if there's anything I can do to help, let, let me know. But I, just, I praise God that, that good fortune is falling your way. Uh, but no, 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 coveting says, I hate the fact that my neighbor's got that wife and that donkey, which... I should probably not link those two things together. You're probably going to take this the wrong way. I'm not equating the two. As we covet, we toss out love of neighbor because we focus only upon what is good for us, as we deem that. We focus only on what we would like, what we want. We focus on what makes me happy. We focus upon what I feel enhances moi, regardless uh, or without much regard to how others are affected. I want it, and I want it now, but it's not yours. I, but I desire it. I've got to have it. In fact, Romans 13 points out what I've just pointed out. Verses 8 and 9. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And the other commandments are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The struggle in life is never, I think, I don't think I love myself enough. You might, you might love yourself in an unhealthy way, but the issue is never, uh, I don't love myself enough. The issue is, if you would just love your neighbor as much as you love you, a lot of things would be straightened out instantly. No, so coveting addresses matters that are, are forbidden. And, and yet, even deeper than that, if you think about this, coveting, this tenth word, is really picking up again things that we've already dealt with. And, and, yet, and yet, 
in the, in, in the very wise way that only God could put this together, this tenth word is revisiting commands already talked about, but it does so in a different way, a deeper way. It, we've already been told you can't have your neighbor's wife. That was the sixth commandment. We've we've already been told you can't have your neighbor's stuff. That was the eighth commandment. So why do we have to spend time dealing with the tenth commandment? These, These are not completely new categories. It's not your wife, you can't have her. If it's not your stuff, you can't have it. It doesn't belong to you. God's not given it to you. No, the tenth commandment shows us that this matter of sin is much deeper than the acts that we commit. The only flattering way I know how to put it is the Tenth Commandment shows that we're a bigger mess than we ever thought we were. It's not just that we happen sometimes to do bad things. It is that at the very core of our being, we are desiring beings, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and we're willing to even put forth desires that the Lord says, uh-uh. This tenth command, while it revisits, I would suggest to you the sixth commandment and the eighth commandment at least, the tenth commandment zones us in and says, I'm not talking about external actions. I've already talked about that in number six and number eight. I am now talking about you and me and your internal desires. Not only are we forbidden to carry out the actions of adultery, we are forbidden to want to carry out those actions. Not only are we forbidden to carry out the actions to steal something, we are forbidden to desire uh, uh, that would prompt us to have those actions to steal something. In other words, commandment number 10 flattens us because it locates obedience at a deeper level. It's deeper than just simply actions. It is desires and wants and longings of the heart. Example. Suppose you have a bicycle. So suppose you're my neighbor and you have a bicycle uh, that uh, I want. I gotta have it. I want it real bad. It's, it's not enough that I've got six bikes already. I mean, because you wouldn't understand this, you have to have a different bike for, for every kind of biking experience. But you guys won't appreciate the fine art of bicycling, so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. You can judge me. So, so but anyway, my, but my neighbor has the bike, and I, I call it bike number seven. Perfect number. The Lord has to be in that. Uh, and uh, 
Uh, and, and, and so I, I, I hatch a scheme uh, that, that I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to slip over to uh, my neighbor's house. And, um, well, first, I'm going to take out a million-dollar life insurance policy on my neighbor because, because I'm so smart, no one will figure out what I'm up to when I do that. But I'm, uh, but I'm going to take out a life insurance policy on my neighbor, and then I'm going to come over, and I'm going to kill my neighbor, and I'm going to take my bike that the Lord thinks is my neighbor's bike. In the meantime, I'm looking for the prime moment to do this. And I'm, but in the meantime, I'm marinating on this bike. I mean, I look out my window, and there's my neighbor driving down the street on it with my bike. And uh, it just enrages me. Just, I'm just seething with stuff inside. I, I daydream about what would be appropriate, and that would be that I would be on that bike. That bike was made for me. I want that bike, and I must have what I desire. I cringe over the thought that it's still not in my possession. But then I go to this church, and, uh, and the church I stumble into there's a tall, young, dark-haired pastor preaching on the Ten Commandments. And I go one Sunday, and, and, and he, he preaches uh, and says, Thou shalt not murder. And I thought, well, okay. i got to scrap the insurance policy and the murder thing. Uh, uh, but, man, I still want that bike. I skip a Sunday, I come back the, the week after that, and, that, and, and the preacher that preaches on the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Oh, man. So no murder, no stealing. So I refrain from those actions. Now, let me ask you a question. Did I ever become obedient? No. I refrained from sinful actions, but I've never repented from or put down sinful desires. Now, that parable was not about bikes. I do this with, with, with great sincerity and respect. I, I, I use that illustration to now point out a bigger, more serious issue that is percolating around in the Christian faith. I'm talking about the matter of same-sex attraction. There are some, with, even within the Christian community, that would very clearly emphatically say that certain acts are out of bounds and forbidden by the Scripture. But there's a disagreement on the, on the deeper matter. The disagreement goes something like this. While one would be forbidden to do actions in conjunction with same-sex attraction, the desires that are underlying that same-sex attraction 
are not immoral and, and, and they're not wrong. In fact, they would contend that it is God himself who has given us those desires uh, that we were in fact made that way. I would suggest to you, and I think the Tenth Commandment would be part of the basis for sorting this out, that when the Lord forbids certain actions, He also, by way of the Tenth Commandment, forbids desiring those actions that He has forbidden. That to do wrong is wrong, and that to desire to do wrong is also wrong. That we are, as I said earlier, that we are morally accountable before God for not simply our actions, but for our desires that lead to our actions. We are to turn from those desires. We are to put those desires down. We are to cry out to the Lord for mercy as we battle those desires. We are to repent even from those desires. Let me move on. Practicing the tenth word. I, there's two matters, two practical considerations I want to maybe parse out for a little bit. The, the first matter, if we're to think clearly about what coveting is and what it means to not covet, then um, we have to have a category uh, that grapples with our discontentment. In other words, if you and I are going to battle coveting this week, then we have to know a thing or two about this discontentment thing. Why? Because I would suggest to you that covetousness germinates in the soil of discontentment. Covetousness germinates in the soil of discontentment. Earlier I said that commands 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 violate the second part of Jesus' summary. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I would suggest to you that this 10th commandment circles right back around to the starting point. And this 10th commandment um, also violates the summary of the first five commandments where he says, you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When he says in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, a heart of discontentment fertilizes the seed of covetousness. It reveals a heart of idolatry that we have turned away from the Lord. The only one who truly satisfies our hearts and quiets our hearts when we turn away from the Lord and we turn to some false God who cannot satisfy, then our hearts overgrow with covetousness because our hearts are festering in the soil of discontentment because we have turned away from the one who is the living springs of water and we have tried to hewn out for ourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. In fact, so what I'm saying is covetousness is idolatry. When we covet our neighbor's wife, our neighbor's stuff, when we covet anything that is not ours, 
that it, it could be a wrong thing to covet or it could be a good thing to covet in the wrong way. When we covet, we have first, prior to that, we have violated the first commandment. Colossians 3.5 puts it really clear. Covetousness is idolatry. If we... All we got to do to never break the 10th commandment is to always be faithful to the first commandment. I smile and smirk with that because therein lies the rub, isn't it? I'm not sure, I'm not overly confident that I have the goods natively to get straight the first commandment. You remember um, Psalm 73? Psalm 73 is, 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 I think, an important reminder that uh, covetousness grows in the soil of discontentment. The psalmist begins in Psalm 73 by saying, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Pure in heart, those who have a singular devotion to the Lord. And then he writes, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled my steps nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on in Psalm 73 and parses out uh, how long um, the... The, the seed of covetousness was germinating in his heart of discontentment. But then he gets to verses 16 and 17. It says, but, but when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Which, until God gave me wisdom to sort this out. And he concludes at this toward the end. And this is what's so beautiful. And here's the remedy for discontentment, which breeds covetousness. He says in Psalm 73, verses 24 and 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You and I were made to be creatures of desire. By God, we were made to be creatures of desire because God made us to desire Him. Only he can satisfy a heart. A heart that is satisfied is a heart that can repulse, expel the, 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 the seeds of covetousness. Second thing I want to say. So I want to say a word about temptation and the law of God. The 10th word here, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or 
his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or, or, or anything that is your neighbor's. This tenth word, as I've already alluded to, but I'm circling back around and hitting it once more before we leave. This tenth word underscores and highlights the deep sinfulness of sin. Paul picks up on this in Romans 7, and he quotes, summarizes the tenth commandment, um, and, 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 and he makes a very important point that, um, uh, that we need to grapple with as it pertains particularly to the Tenth Commandment. And in, in a sense, what he's, one of the points that he tries to make by circling back around and drawing out the Tenth Commandment, where there he just summarizes, says, do not covet. He presses that into us to show us that we're worse off than what we think. To show us that we are more flawed and sinful than maybe what we anticipated. He says there in Romans 7, verses 7 through 8, For I, I would not have you to know, uh, for, for I would not have known what it is to covet to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And then he says this, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the law commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. What I'm saying is that in a sense, Paul did not realize the depth of his depravity until he realized what was really being said in the 10th commandment. In fact, elsewhere, Paul would say, you know what? I was a pretty good guy. Commands one through nine, check, 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 check. Does that eight or nine? I'm not sure. But anyway, um, but you get the point. But then, when he looked at the 10th commandment, and it says, uh, don't covet, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's male servant or female servant or ox or donkey. Don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Then, then what surged up inside of him was the depths of his sinfulness. It, it, it exposed it. It revealed it. It showed him that, that while he didn't do this and do this and do this and do this, he desired to do this and to do this and to do this and to do this. That, that command that addressed his inner disposition, his inner desire, revealed to him what the true moral mess that he was. Externally, he's okay. You'd let, your, you'd let your daughter go out with this guy. But internally, he was a moral mess. Commandment number 10 showed the Apostle Paul. It should show us um, that, there, that there is a, uh, that, that there were desires, there are desires in us that are packed full of wickedness and rebellion against a holy God. And as Paul goes on in Romans 7, the other thing he tells us about this 
pulsating sin that expresses itself in desire, he could not escape it. So he says at the end of Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The Tenth Commandment showed Paul. The Tenth Commandment is designed to show you that whatever exterior veneer we have of moral goodness is just simply hiding a hot mess of wicked desire internally. And Paul's approach is the best approach. We're flattened by being exposed to God's holy law. We would simply say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? For it is then that the Lord showed Paul the answer. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus has come to rescue people who not only do wrong things, but he's come to rescue people who feel the desire to do wrong things and don't know how to escape from that. Jesus has come to rescue us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have now shown us what you've seen about us all along. We have a problem that we cannot remedy. That the problem is inside of us. The problem has left us estranged from you. The problem has left us under the just punishment of your holy condemnation. And yet you have not left things there. You have dispatched your son. And we praise God for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.